Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Coop, I hope you have a good weekend. Thank you very much. I'm Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. We're awaiting a big vote tonight in the Senate. Could happen on our watch. The Trump party is expected to block legislation to create a bipartisan commission to investigate the insurrection. And why? Well, this is the offered explanation. I do not believe the additional extraneous commission that Democratic leaders want would uncover crucial new facts or promote healing. How does he know already that there would be no new facts? It's an odd thing to say, isn't it? It's also odd that Mr. McConnell asked his colleagues for a personal favor to oppose this commission. That's according to one of the Republicans he pressured. Why would this be so important to him? After all, this is the man who said Trump was responsible for January 6th. Remember, doesn't he want that assertion of his to have findings behind it? Thirty five Republicans in the House thought the terrorist attack of January 6th All the groups that coordinated weeks out to come to that bloody result, hunting them as they secured the democratic process, they thought it was worth investigating earlier this month. Suffering succotash, even Senator Lindsey Graham was once for it. We need a 9-11 commission to find out what happened to make sure it never happens again. Now he says he opposes the House-passed bill with the excuse that a commission will turn into a partisan food fight. Let's be honest. Once again, common sense is going to lose out to the nonsense of fealty. This is just as simple as choosing Trump over the truth once again. This is what Trump brought to bear. You see the red hats. These are his people. He made them angry. He gave them the incentive to act and they took it. And now his party because they, too, are acting at his direction, are choosing better to cover for terrorists who attack the Capitol, better to whitewash history, better to call them tourists and peaceful patriots than to do or say anything that may sully the Teflon Don or, more importantly, ruffle the feathers of his followers that are key to that party's shrinking base. Even the mother of fallen Capitol Police officer Brian Sicknick had a hard time convincing Republicans to meet, let alone to do what is right on the Hill today. Thirteen Republican senators declined to meet with her. Here's her thought. This is supposed to uphold the Constitution, and right now I don't think they're doing it. Gladys Sicknick. She calls not meeting with her a slap in the faces or not picking a commission a slap in the faces. Of all the officers like her son, remember, there were about 140 who did their job on the 6th, protected the people now who don't want to look in to the situation. 140 who were hurt or maimed. Now, when they vote against this bill, they will be saying that those people don't matter. But remember, a slap in the face to the mother of a fallen police officer 
they can handle that because there is only one face they dare not slap. Now, as we wait for this vote, let's bring in retired Army Lieutenant General Russell Honoré, who led the review of Capitol security after the attack. In fact, he wrote the report that is the basis for this bill, joins us now on primetime. Good to see you, sir, as always. Good afternoon, sir. So let me ask you, you surprised that there's going to be no commission? I'm very disappointed would be a better description, Chris. Uh, on that day, uh, my assessment, we had a failure of government. Uh, our government didn't work. Our Department of Homeland Security were on their butt. The FBI, the Department of Justice, the Secret Service, Department of Defense. Government didn't work that day. If government was working, it's no way we wouldn't have had response forces there to help the Capitol Police. And if not for the help of the Metropolitan Police from the District of Columbia, uh, God knows what would have happened at the Capitol that day. Our government failed. We need to figure out why did it fail. And Mm -hmm. we need to respect those officers, as you said, that were hurt and the ones killed with a proper investigation as to what happened so we can prevent this from happening again. Look, when Speaker, when Leader McConnell go home tonight, he will get in a black suburban. He has 10 Capitol Police protect him 24-7 if he wants it. If he want to go out to dinner tonight, he'll go home, uh, collect himself, and go to a fine restaurant. They will take him to dinner if he wants. If he want to travel to out to his home back in Kentucky, they will travel with him, and they do. Ten of them. Now, how does he explain to them that nothing happened and the facts don't matter when they protect him 24-7? This is a travesty of our democracy happening right here. Congressman McCarthy says, no, uh, this is a political hit job and you were a political appointment. What do you say to him? Well, I think he's more political than I am. I respect him. He's got the right to say what he wants to say. But I'm not a Democrat and I'm not a Republican. We did our jobs. This is what happened when you tell the truth. People that don't want to hear the truth will find a reason to degrade you. I've been there before, done that. I think we came close to the truth with our recommendations on increasing the police, hardening the capital, increasing the intelligence, have more dignitary protection, provide the Capitol Police with better instruments with the architect to have surveillance and fences that can come out of the ground. What's political about that? I don't see that as a political, but he's right to his opinion. And he told me that to my face. So it's not the first time I've heard it. But why, when he goes home tonight, he will get in one of those black suburbans and there'll be eight or ten uh, Capitol Police taking him where he wants to go and taking him home to California. This is an absolute travesty to the respect of those officers who protect them 24-7. Let me ask you this. Um... General, the Joint Intel report calls racially and ethnically motivated hate groups the most lethal domestic threat. In your report, you found that threats to lawmakers have increased fourfold since a year ago, and there is a cross-section between these threats. How do we fight this threat without actually understanding how it coalesced to create this moment on the 6th? Well, first of all, Chris, we don't have adequate laws on the book to track potential domestic terrorism. We track terrorism, foreign terrorism very well. 
and have done that pretty successfully since 9-11. But domestic terrorism, you can go look and you can ask the experts. We don't have sufficient law that empowers the FBI and local and state officials to track potential domestic terrorism. We can only do something if they act. And I was talking to one senior staffer about why we didn't have that law. And his flippant answer was because domestic terrorism, terrorists vote. They participate in the process. Did Congress need to fix that by creating a law so we can track where they're doing, where they're talking, monitor, as well as to go intervene before they act. Do you think not having the commission will make it more likely that we have a mistake and don't handle something well again? I think it increased the probability. I would want to think government has learned the lesson that the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security will be working in concert with the Capitol Police as well as the Park Police and the rest of them in the Capitol area to prevent this from happening. I want to believe that they will be able to. What happens if it happens at three o'clock in the morning? Domestic terrorism don't have to have a big footprint to be able to show up in their trucks with their guns and go against the Capitol. What's going to happen when that happens? That's why we recommended a National Guard quick reaction force. There are members that don't want that. They don't want the National Guard on standby at the armory. The current system for getting support to the Capitol Police work well if it's a Saturday afternoon and you can organize it and they get a permit. But what happened if we get another attack from domestic terrorism going after the Capitol? And now there's one opportunity. Now, here's an opportunity to ask those questions uh, and come up with solutions that it doesn't look like we're going to have. Uh, but let me take this opportunity here. General Honoré, uh, I'm sure you know men and women who died in service to this country, uh, and I honor their memories, and I honor your service to the country as well. Thank you for helping us tonight. God bless you and the family. Remember, Memorial Day, we re- Oh, it was a tough time to lose him. Uh, I'm sure he was going to say something about we remember the people who made a sacrifice so that we can try to do better in this place. Certainly better than we're doing right now. Sorry, I lost the general. More pressure tonight on the man who holds the secrets of Trump's finances. Prosecutors may be trying to flip Alan Weisselberg. Now, you've heard this before. How do they get somebody to flip? By getting information that is bad for Weisselberg, maybe that has something to do with the inaugural scandal. What does someone who worked on the inaugural committee know? Stephanie Winston Wolkoff is here, former close confidant to Melania Trump. She knows what happened on the inaugural committee. Was Weisselberg involved? Next. There's a lot of talk out there about what this special grand jury in New York means, especially when it comes to Trump and his top money man, Alan Weisselberg. So I think the speculation doesn't really help anything. Uh, Court documents... Uh, They help something, Uh, especially if you're looking scandal for scandal. People tend to work in patterns. Uh, Remember, the DCAG is running an active civil investigation into the Trump inaugural committee. That was also part of the Trump organization's kind of extended reach. Same players, same dynamics. And certainly court documents there show a similar scheme. Trumpers inflating rates, which, quote, improperly, excuse me, improperly served to enrich the Trump entities and its owners. 
Email records surfaced by Mother Jones show once again Weisselberg is right in the middle, apparently, engaging in detailed correspondence and a breakdown of each expense. The difference in the D.C. case, no grand jury secrecy. We know who is talking and what they're saying. That includes the president's family. Ivanka, Donald Trump Jr., both asked directly about Weisselberg's role, a man who has worked with their father and grandfather their entire lives. Both claimed not to know much. You know who does know? Our next guest, Stephanie Winston Wolkoff. She, for the last three years, has been working with investigators from New York and D.C. about her time in Trump world. Her book is Melania and Me, but there's a lot more to her story. Stephanie, uh, it's good to have you back. Thank you for taking the opportunity. Thank you for having me, Chris. So from what you saw and experienced, uh, do you believe that there could be a connection between overpaying for a hotel in the inaugural process and what they're looking at in New York? I think there is most likely um, definitely a connection, Chris. And as you said earlier, the facts speak for themselves in black and white. Alan Weisselberg, uh, you did not deal directly with him, but from what you understood, what was his role and how important was it? You know, Alan Weisselberg's name never came up once during the planning of the presidential inauguration. And so when the deposition was released that I've been a lead witness for the United States Attorney General, District of Columbia, I was astounded that all the um, inaugural invoices, audits were sent over to Alan's office, uh, to the Trump Organization, which is the uh, parent company for all of Trump's entities. Um, you know, Ivanka in her deposition refers to it as the umbrella company. Um, you know, Don Jr. refers to it as, you know, the another brand name. Um, but it is the Trump org that rules roost and the chickens have come home to roost and the facts are the facts. And so now that he is no longer president, he's going to have to answer these questions. You talk about the deposition. Uh, I know that one of the uh, aspects of it is an email of Weisselberg asking for detailed inaugural revenue breakdowns. Doug, if you'd be so kind as to send me the latest report reflecting all revenue broken down by its sources, as well as a detailed disbursement schedule by vendor, it would be greatly appreciated. What insight did you gain in looking at the deposition about what that meant about what Weisselberg knew? Look, I'm sitting here today, Chris, three years in. It's taken over my life, this investigation, um, as a lead witness, grand jury subpoenaed from the Southern District of New York, all the way you know, to the Intelligence Committee and now um, the USDC. It is um, really alerting and alarming that the Trump organization's role in not only being paid by the PIC, the inaugural committee, um, inflated prices, not market rates, which they um, insist, but as well as having authority over the finances of the $107 million, um, I was there. I was, you know, calling this out then three years ago, actually five years ago. But really, you know, 2018, I was calling out the inconsistencies, the irregularities. Um, I had a big issue with all of them. And because of that, um, you know, they threw me under the bus. But the reality of all of that is they actually put me in the center of all of this. And I had spent three years trying to figure it all out and connecting the dots and helping prosecutors, not because I wanted to, but because I was subpoenaed to do so. So if the former president were to say, you know what, Wolkoff has it right. Weisselberg did know all of it. He was in charge of it. He was watching the money come going out. I was busy being president. 
um, what is the chance that the former president was aware of what kind of bilking and different things were going on that you're talking about? Um, the former president, Donald J. Trump, knew everything that was going on during the planning of the inaugural. He was very much um, involved in the day-to-day -day activity. He loved it. And, um, and, and Melania was as well. Um, you know, when they say that they had no knowledge of how the finances were spent, as well as no involvement in the inaugural, um, that's just not true. And the facts, again, Chris, it's in the documentation. And you believe that uh, this is a reflection of how the president would have had a contact about his own business dealings at the Trump organization, that what Weisselberg knew, Trump knew, and also that the way you see his family responding to questions in the depositions, you believe shows a pattern as well. How so? This is a pattern um, of the Trump family. And if you don't go along with what they want you to go along with, they will um, accuse you of those uh, things themselves. Um, they speak with such conviction. Their pattern of um, inflation, their pattern of um, you know, self-dealings, it is consistent over and over. And it's obvious when you've been where I was and seeing it happen as a witness firsthand, um, there, there's no doubt that this is something that goes on all the time. Stephanie, I appreciate the insight. Obviously, there's a long way to go here uh, and a lot more to learn. And I'm sure we'll be calling on you for your insight from time to time along the way. So thank you in advance for helping us understand this story. Thank you, Chris. I wish you the best for the family. Thank you, you too. All right. Another uh, aspect of news into Trump world tonight. We're just learning about another federal investigation that we didn't know about reportedly involving Rudy Giuliani, Ukraine, and the 2020 election. What is this one about? Next. All right, breaking on our watch, the New York Times reporting tonight that federal prosecutors are investigating whether Ukrainian operatives, the government, whatever, we don't know the full scope, meddled in the 2020 election to help Donald Trump. This investigation reportedly started while Trump was still president. Specifically, prosecutors from the Eastern District of New York want to know if Ukrainians were pushing misinformation through Rudy Giuliani. The former president's ex-lawyer doesn't appear to be a target of this investigation, at least not right now, which is confusing. Instead, they're focused on a member of Ukrainian parliament named Andriy Durkash. Now, a reminder, here is what Giuliani said about Durkash on this show at the time. But you I mean, know, I, our government sees Andre Durkash as a guy who should not be respected or trusted and that they think he's a propagandist I, I, I and an operative I, I, for the that's Russians. That's OK. They can see him that way. He is not. Now, so look, he didn't believe that about Durkash. The government did. Then we had a man on this show who had worked for the Ukrainian president while this was going on and said that Durkash was absolutely uh, filing, funneling information, and that Rudy was well aware of that and making demands and requests of them as part of the exchange. So let's bring in Ellie Honig, who knows the turf from his time as a federal prosecutor in New York. Ellie, why would it be that Rudy's not in trouble, but the Ukrainian guy is? Yeah, it's a great question, Chris. And it comes down to what did Rudy know? Because if Rudy knew that the Ukrainians were trying to funnel information, false information into influence our election, then he's part of that crime. And if he did not know, 
then he's a dupe. Now, there's good news and bad news for Rudy here. The good news is he's reportedly not a subject of the Eastern District of New York's investigation, meaning they don't believe he's somebody who's likely to have criminal liability. However, I've seen that change. I've seen people gone from non-subject to subject and sometimes to target. It's all going to depend on how their investigation proceeds. You know, so I'm looking down because I'm looking at the transcript of what the guy told me. So the guy was the one of the assistants. Put Ellie back up, please. Um, split the screen with me. Thank you. Uh, while I was talking to him, he was the uh, one of the assistants to the president. He says Rudy was working with Durkash. Durkash was giving him information. He was pressuring them uh, to kind of make good on these suggestions from Durkash and suggesting what the man called quid pro quo. Uh, where do the government interests lie in this kind of investigation? Yeah, so, Chris, there, it is a federal crime for any foreign interest to try to influence our election. Robert Mueller actually charged a bunch of Russians with trying to influence the 2016 election. And where I think this could get dicey for Rudy is here. The Southern District of New York, we know, is investigating Rudy Giuliani. He is a subject and a target of that investigation. And the key question in the Southern District invest investigation over in Manhattan is, was Rudy acting on behalf of Ukrainians? If the Eastern District investigation turns up that kind of information, that could be used to hurt Rudy in the investigation across the river in Manhattan, the Southern District. But what's the chance that Ukrainians ever stand trial in the United States? I don't understand what the point of the investigation is. Shouldn't this be an intelligence you know, matter where instead of a prosecution, it's an intelligence operation? Yeah, there's almost no chance any Ukrainian based in Ukraine faces uh, arrest and trial. Right. And there's no, there's no extradition, extradition treaty. treaty. Right. There's no extradition Ukraine. treaty. Right. Right. Exactly. So, I, yeah, I think the, there's two two purposes here. One is to sort of make the record. Mueller brought these charges that he probably knew he would never be able to actually make arrests on. But it's important that we know. But the other thing is, you don't know where an investigation is going to lead. The Eastern District could well find information. That's incriminating to Rudy Giuliani. If so, by the way, I want to say in an ideal world, they would share it with the Southern District. However, I'll tell you firsthand, there's a long history of rivalry. It's a New York rivalry, right? Eastern District is Brooklyn, Queens, Long Island. Southern District is Manhattan and Bronx. We don't always play nicely together, SDNY, EDNY. We used to have what we called turf battles with them all the time. The better way to do it is to share information. So if Brooklyn Eastern District finds information that's incriminating to Rudy that shows he was working on behalf of Ukraine, he knew it, I would hope that they would share it with the Southern District so it can be properly used. Hmm. Uh, while I have you, uh, Weisselberg, uh, what we were having in that last conversation about any kind of patterned understanding of what happened during the inaugural process versus what happens with business as usual and what that could mean in terms of the ability to manipulate Weisselberg to help in an investigation of, against others. What do you think? Yeah, Chris, all indications, including from Ms. Winston Wolkoff in your last segment, have made entirely clear Weisselberg knows everything. And if I'm the Manhattan DA trying to make this case against the Trump organization, all of my focus is on trying to flip Alan Weisselberg. If you flip him, he has the keys to the castle. If you don't, it's going to be a much, much more difficult case to make. Mm. Ellie Honig, thank you very much. I appreciate you helping us, especially on quick notice. Thanks, we just Chris. found out about this. All right. Former yeah. House Speaker Paul Ryan reemerging. You remember him. He was supposed to be kind of a, this new bridge character, Republican, but not like some crazy extremist. And then Trump came and he wound up going along with a tax cut that he would have never gone for before. And now he's expected to call on his troubled party to reject Trump. It's not what he did when he was in there. Competing voices like Matt Gates say Republicans should reject Ryan. 
He's on the road again with the QAnon kook. A whole lot of drama. Next. Former President Trump now looking at a pair of criminal grand juries. Pair? I thought it was just about the New York one. No, remember, back in March, the DA in Atlanta impaneled one to look at Trump's effort to overturn the election results, specifically his calls uh, with local officials. Could they be construed as criminal obstruction? Unlikely. Now we have this special grand jury, however, scheduled to meet for six months in New York. The focus there is on his business. And this is absolutely more serious business for Trump, a subject few journalists know better than Tim O'Brien, author of Trump Nation. Good to see you, brother. Hi, Christopher. Let's go through the three things that Trump should worry about here. Number one, prison. Why? (laughs) Well, because this is the first time in his 74 years, about to be 75 years, that he's been looking at the possibility of a criminal indictment um, and a criminal charges and an orange jumpsuit that is new in his world. And he he has nine lives. He has escaped um, rigorous investigations and two impeachments before. But this is a very this is an order of magnitude different than anything he's encountered before. And also in the last two trials, they were political. He had people there who were invested in making sure he got away with it and he had leverage to use against them. Here, we don't know that to be the case. And that takes and us- And he was still president. Yes, sir, absolutely, which was with that leverage on high. And that takes us to the difference between fealty, which is you have to do for Trump, otherwise he will do against you, to whether he can really secure enough loyalty to stay out of water. That goes to the CFO and any other people with information about his knowledge of criminal wrongdoing. That's right, Chris. And, you know, the, there's, it's a, it is a small network of people. The Trump Organization is not a complex um, Fortune 500 company. This is a mom and pop shop. It's smaller than most grocery stores in terms of the number of people who work there. Trump put his hands on everything of substance. So anything of substance that Cy Vance or Tish James are looking at involves Trump. And there was a small nexus of people around that who mattered. Alan Weisselberg has gotten a lot of attention, but there's people like Jason Greenblatt, the former in-house counsel of the Trump Organization, his administrative assistant, Rona Graff, who handled emails for him, and as well, and obviously his children as well. Once you, you know, those are the people that have some of the closest proximity to uh, to Trump's decision making, and I and I have to believe uh, that Cy Vance has spoken to most of them, if not all of them already. And we know that Weisselberg is the subject himself now of, of, a, of a criminal probe. You know, the third one I actually wanted to put first because I think it will be our first big indication of how strong a fight Trump is going to put up. And the third one is adequate legal defense. When he was president, everybody wanted to get around him. He had all the best names that he could have, all the resources and manpower now we're going to see what kind of team he can assemble on his own. And he has a long history of stiffing his lawyers for mm. their legal bills. He has a notoriously bad reputation in the legal community for someone who won't pay up. Now, obviously, there's going to be a lot of value to any attorney to defend a, a marquee client like Trump in a case like this if he gets indicted and if it goes that far. Um, I also think he believes in his heart of hearts 
that legal counsel is almost the last resort for him, the first thing he'll do is take his case to the streets. We saw him do this with the Mueller probe. We saw him do it with two impeachments. He is, he is more than happy to try to burn the house down and attack institutions and the bona fides of people trying to hold him to account uh, if it saves his own skin. Grand jury is a secret proceeding. What would you put it at right now? More likely or less likely he gets indicted? I just I, I don't I, I think there's a strong possibility that someone at the Trump organization is going to get indicted. I think there's a possibility that the Trump organization itself will get indicted uh, as a corporate entity. Um, I just don't know. But I, I don't think that Tish James would have expanded her probe from a civil probe into a criminal probe, which carries the penalty of prison along with it if you're found guilty, which a civil probe doesn't, unless she had a rock-solid belief she had good evidence. And Cy Vance would not be convening a grand jury unless he was confident that he had evidence he could put in front of a grand jury and convince them that a crime was committed. So I do think this is this is moving towards criminal charges. It's just unclear who and what and when. They can squeeze out a win either way, though. If they indict anybody or the entity, they can say they found that Trump's person, Trump's organization was criminal. They'll spin that. Doesn't mean they have to get the former president himself. I got to jump. We'll have plenty more to talk about. This case is not going anywhere. We know we're going to have six months of developments along the way with this grand jury. Tim O'Brien, thank you. Always good to see you. Thanks, Chris. All right. The pandemic. It is on the retreat in America. But then you got to put your eye on the Olympics in Japan, if that's where they are. Why? Well, COVID cases are on the rise there. Very few people vaccinated. U.S. citizens are being advised not to travel there. What does this mean for the games? Dr. Sanjay Gupta, next. California is the latest state turning to cash to get vaccinations up, offering more than $116 million in prize money that will be given away in dozens of drawings next month. Here are the other states that are doing similar things. New York, Maryland, Oregon, Colorado, all following Ohio's lead. Why? Because it works. The vaccination rate has jumped 45 percent since the governor announced these special lotteries. Critics note that Pfizer opened up eligibility for young adults around the same time. Okay, but here's the proof. Vaccination rates for those above the age of 16 went from being down 25% the weekend prior to up 28% after the lottery was announced. Last night, Ohio awarded its first Vaximillion winners. A 14-year-old got a full college scholarship. Ohio's newest millionaire is 22-year-old, I, I love this, 22-year-old Abigail Bujenski. Abigail Bujenski, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. I am doing great. Thank you for asking. How are you? So there's so many things I love about this. Uh, first, you had already been vaccinated because COVID had really taken a toll on you and you were kind of desperate to be able to get into a better position. Help us understand. I just really wanted to return to normal, which I think um, a lot of people who got the vaccine early feel the same way. Um, I was, I got vaccinated the very first week that 16 plus could get vaccinated. And I am just 
encouraging everyone who is able to get vaccinated to get vaccinated. Your parents' reaction when you walked into their house, you were screaming so that they thought I was crying and something was wrong. <laughs> and what did you tell them? Um, I came in screaming, like, like you said, um, that I had won a million dollars. Um, I'm pretty sure I was jumping around and waving my hands as well. I, I don't know what else I could have said. I, I won a million dollars. Did what, did any part of you think that it was a joke? There's so many scams out there now. Oh, absolutely. When, uh, Governor DeWine called me initially, I asked if it was a prank call, not once, but twice, the second time after he told me that I was Ohio's newest millionaire. So once it's sunk in, or has it sunk in, what does this mean for you? How does life change? Uh, It hasn't sunk in. So I am still wondering how my life is gonna change. I've been pretty isolated so far. I've talked to a couple media outlets, but so far nothing dramatic, too dramatic for me yet. Um, I've said a couple times that I'm planning on buying a car, um, donating to a couple charities, but nothing like buying a Lamborghini or anything like that. (laughs) What about uh, work? You work at General Electric. Um, Does this change your life path at all? Um, not right now. Still planning on continuing my Edison role there. Um, maybe an early retirement, <laughs> but that's a, that's a long ways away for me. You know, you are, uh, you have a, you want to pursue a graduate degree in aerospace engineering, right? Uh, you're an engineer now at, at GE. Usually people think that lotteries are for suckers and certainly STEM people like you, you know, math and applied math and science people don't go in for the lottery because the chances are too random. What made you do it? So I had already been vaccinated, like we talked about. So there wasn't much of a cons list. I had to put my name in the Vaximillion site and it was kind of one of those why not. And um, who knows, it could be me. And here we are. <laughs> wow, it's just good for you. And look, the, the bigger good is that it's working uh, in the state right now, right? Because Ohio is kind of middle of the pack. I think it was middle of the country in terms of vaccination rate. And now you're seeing it go up. Um, a lot of people your age don't get the vaccine. They don't think they need it. Um, either they've had it and they were basically symptom free or they didn't have it at all. What do you say? Um, personally, I think whatever I can do to protect anyone that I'm going to be coming into contact as the COVID restrictions are lifted, I'm going to, I'm going to participate in that. Hmm. Good for you. Um, so the first splurge is going to be a car. Is it true that you're looking at a used car? Yes. That hasn't changed. I like it. I a test drive for a used car planned for this afternoon that um, did not end up happening, but definitely still looking at used cars, yes. Well, look, I wish you all the best. Uh, This is a great windfall in your life. I hope you use it to help yourself and your family. Uh, And I also hope that the example shows that anybody can win this and it can be a life changer and all it takes is doing the right thing to begin with, which is making yourself safe uh, for others by getting vaccinated. So good luck, Abigail. 
I look forward to the next chapter. Thank you so much. All right, we'll be right back. Uh, this is my last show as we enter into the Memorial Day weekend. And I think that we should approach it a little differently than we have in the past. Uh, here's my humble suggestion. Uh, this is kind of the first big deal since we re-entered our phasing into normal since the pandemic. And it is an often abused occasion. You know, it's beer and barbecues, happy Memorial Day. We're supposed to be remembering the sacrifice of those who died. So how? How? We have become a society that increasingly talks about the people that they don't like, that they oppose. We're chippy. We're petty. We have social media. You can say it anonymously. You can say it without the person being there. We don't talk to one another. And it's a mistake. And I believe that when you look at Memorial Day uh, and honoring the sacrifice of those who died, why? Why did they die? Because it was their job, because they were young, because they went in, because they were believed, because they were patriots. There are a lot of reasons. But at the end of the day, the sacrifice was a function of them finding in themselves the desire for the rest of us to do things better. And I think a big way to do that is to try and take the opportunity and talk to someone that you have a problem with or you don't agree with, not about them. See if we can use the sacrifice of others to give us a chance to do things better there and actually do it. Thank you for watching. D Lemon Tonight starts right now. <laughs> you already changed the name of my show. Well, at least I got it close to right. <laughs> better than you. Seven, I think it's seven years or longer I've been saying CNN Tonight, but, it, you know, it's bound to change. Uh, if I can just, I, I don't disagree with you, so don't take this the wrong way. How can you disagree? No, I'm not. No, no, no I'm not disagreeing. <laughs> okay, just good. Say, no, I'm just going to add to what you say. You said Please. talk to someone. I think they should do what you and I do, and that's talk with someone, right? Because when you talk with someone, that means you're doing a whole lot of listening as well. And uh, you're learning. I know we're, we're, saying, it's, we're saying the same thing. But I think we need to talk with each other, not at each other, right? Not about each other. I think we need to be in relationships with people who don't look like us, who have nothing in common with us, who don't share the same religion with us. And quite frankly, you know, I tell you about it all the time. I don't pay attention to social media. I know people are out there and they're like, oh, you know, they're just the, a, a, a story would be that someone said or did something controversial and social media didn't blow up or have a hissy fit. Now, that would be a breaking news story. So whenever I see reporters or reports about, oh, my gosh. Twitter went to a tissy about somebody's, and I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of what Twitter is about. Well, look, about. you know, there, there's a cheap aspect to the media. People are lazy, and it's easy because there's a proxy for insight in that. You know, they can take 50 people or 500 people or 5,000 people on Twitter and make it sound as though there's a national movement. But I do think that a big part of the division and a big part of the disconnect in how we're being um, really manipulated by the fringe in this country right yep, now. You're right. Is because of this difference in the prepositional understanding of dealing with human beings. Yeah. Where if you're talking about somebody, uh, it's very easy to be negative. It's very easy to be pejorative. If you're do- talking to or with, as you say, it's a different situation. Yeah. And there is no hope. Uh, for the way we are right now. You're seeing it tonight in real time. They won't even study how people came to attack them. Yeah, which is very important. Listen, you and I have these conversations, and they get very intense, and they should be. That's how how people talk to each other. That's how family talks to each other. Uh, Last night, John Kasich and I, I I love John. He's great. But we have have very um, 
tough conversations sometimes. And I think you should treat people who you are in friendship with, you're in a, fam a family member with, you should have those conversations the way that you have at a dinner table, at a barbecue, at a picnic or whatever, and then you say, oh man, you are crazy, now give me that rib. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Instead of like, every, not everybody, look, you, have, you should be respectful, but you, there's no, you don't have to polite and like tiptoe around things or whatever. If I, I'm gonna say, Chris, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. It just helps you, you find, the, find, help you find the connective tissue. You know, there's a stat yeah. that really bothers me. 70% of the American people agree on the main priorities. Mm -hmm. Well, then why the hell are we so divided? <laughs> a little bit of that is the fringification. A little bit of that is, you know, in the media. It's um, by design. Playing to the salacious. It's by design. But it's also because people, social media, you're not around. You're not in confrontation with. You're not dealing with directly. So you don't have that moment that, you know, I'll have where someone's like, you know, why do you want to take away my Second Amendment right? I was like, I don't know. I'm a gun owner. <laughs> and they're like, well, what do you mean you're a gun owner? I'm like, I'm a, I'm a gun owner. Yeah. What are you talking about? Why do you own the gun? I said, to, to shoot somebody if they try to hurt me or mine. I don't even hunt. <laughs> you know, so, well, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I didn't know that. You never said that. So like, I, say, oh, I, say it, I say it all the time. Yeah. Or with me. Why are you so anti-police? I'm like, no, I'm not anti-police. And then during the insurrection when I had Michael Fanon and, and uh, Officer Dunn on, uh, Harry Dunn, and they're like, when did you become pro-police? I'm like, I've always been pro-police. I'm just, I just want better policing. I want it all to be better. I just don't want people being harmed for no reason or the brutality. But I've always been pro-police. Same thing with the Second Amendment. Look, I grew up in Louisiana. Everybody I knew had a gun. My sister carried a gun and my aunt carried guns in their purses. <laughs> so I got, my mom would say, don't go near her purse. I'm like, why? Just don't go. And then you'd look at it and again, you're like, oh, I see why they don't want me to go into it. But I tell you one thing, though, even with that, when I was a kid, for Christmas, no guns. They'll, sh not, they'll not, shoot your eye out. No, 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 like toy guns, like cowboys and Indians, no. My, my, my mom got one for Christmas. My dad took it. Nope. Uh, once when, when I, put my, I grabbed the gun, I didn't realize I was a kid because my dad owned businesses, and I grabbed the gun, and my dad, <laughs> talk about knocking you into, like, to the moon. <laughs> wow. That's scary. That, that's scary yeah. for, for an adult to see that with but their I kid. But I grew up with guns everywhere. You're, you're, you're anti. No, I'm not. I'm just look, it's because we're brain. we're just there's too much about and not about to no not enough to or hit with and I just think especially on Memorial Day yeah. you know it's such a confusing one everybody says Happy Memorial Day I was talking about it with Patrick one of my producers today I'm like well, what am I supposed to say have a good one what's good about remembering <laughs> the dead so you know yeah. th that's why this started off by just putting poppies on graves after World War One obviously it started after the Civil War but Decoration Day putting yeah. poppies because poppies can grow anywhere and that's the point. We can get to a better place because good intentions and progress can come from anywhere. Yeah. You just have to want it, and that is honoring the sacrifice, doing what you can to make it better. Yes, and I tell you what, I, and what we can do to make it better now is um, get out, enjoy the progress that we've made with the vaccine, see our loved ones, um, respect if people have issues with masks, that respect them, but also believe in the science. You don't have to wear the mask if you're outside. Get out and enjoy your family. I'm going to see you. I'll enjoy. If the weather holds up, fingers crossed. I'll see you we'll anyway. get to hang out. Yeah, I know. And then I'll have to be inside with you, which is really an issue. <laughs> uh, so I love you. I can't wait to see you this weekend. I can't wait to. Uh, I'm going to have a summer like I was a 12-year-old. I've made that pledge. Knock Good. wood. Live your life. Barefoot and everything. Live your life. Eat you, whatever you, I want. Do whatever only, I want. You only get one chance. And I wish everybody watching your show. Yeah. 
uh, your Legion fans that they make good memories this Memorial Day weekend. Amen. Amen. I love you, D. Lemon. I I'll love see you, you soon. as well. This- Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.